Today we're ending the bite model. So let's get started on emotional control. For number one, in emotional control from the authoritarian group, how they control your emotions and keep you in a cult. Uh, number one is they manipulate and narrow the range of feelings. Some emotions and or needs are deemed as evil, wrong, or selfish. Okay, so there's a narrow range of, of acceptable feelings. In my experience in the cults, the overall acceptable feelings were positive feelings. They, on, the, on the outside, everybody appeared very happy, living for the sake of others and grateful. But I know on the inside, what I hid and what came out as passive aggressiveness was a lot of anger and resentment. But a lot of the exterior appearance was happy, grateful, was gratitude was a big one. Um, and sometimes that exterior appearance leaked into the interior. And so I lied to myself about me being grateful, just happy. And I think that created a lot of anxiety for me anyways. So not being able to express uh, a full range of emotions led to a lot of mental health instability um, because you're not authentic. You're if you're only allowing yourself to experience a narrow range of feelings and emotions inside of a high control group, those other emotions are still there and they're still gonna find a way to express themselves one way or the other, in my opinion. Okay, so number two is teach emotion-stopping techniques to block feelings of homesickness, anger, and doubt. So I was, I was 13 when I went to Korea, the institutionalized programming school. Well, GOP, the general orientation program, like thinking back, it was a compound of thought reform and they indoctrinated us from five in the morning, you know, because we got up and did Hindike and then we followed a very strict regime. And basically you get 13 year olds, program them however you want. While they're in their peak stages of brain development and emotional memory, you like tell them how they can have emotions and it's just, oh, it's very, it's like a finishing school for the control. People were homesick. Kids would get packages from their family every once in a while. Packages were like $60 to send. Like sending a box of mac and cheese and gummy bears cost like $60. <sighs> and I was homesick. There wasn't any promotion to call your family. There wasn't any emotional support to comfort homesickness, definitely. Because I know calling cards cost a lot. So even if, even though I wanted to call my family and I was homesick, I couldn't afford a calling card. For me, anyway, there was no way to call my family. I didn't get packages, all because of money. And then keep in mind, this program was $20,000 a year. It's $10,000 a semester. So what is the justification for not promoting communication with the family when there's homesickness. Obviously these kids, I was only 13. I was 13 to 15 years old and I think I called my family but once every three months. That doesn't seem healthy at all and if you think about it, it's extremely dysfunctional. How can a $20,000 a year program use separation of family and, and this homesickness and then deny that the homesickness is even a thing and try to like program these kids to not need a support system, just need the program. They just need the indoctrinated group. Um, and that's what happened. It was it was a thought reform finishing school for the Unification Church. And for me to kind of paint the picture here, this $20,000 a year program wasn't some glorious finishing school overseas in a foreign country where kids would get an international education. It was 13-year-olds being shipped off to Korea where we would share a room, four people to a room, and these rooms weren't big. They were probably about 14 feet long by 10 foot wide, if even. They were very long and narrow rooms. Um, you have two bunk beds in each room where there's four children that sleep and share the same room. And then there's 
two closets where four people share, probably just two dressers, and then you've got four desks. And so the, this is the structure. You've got four kids, and each of those kids, mind you, is paying $20,000 a year. So in one tiny room, you're making $80,000 a year. And we're not talking like these rooms had bathrooms. We had group shower. There was a sh one shower room where all 100 Japanese and American members would take a shower. And then we've got group prayer hall and then the cafeteria. Like it wasn't a glorious, glamorous finishing school in South Korea and Seoul. It was a compound. The very definition of a compound. Everything's group living. Everything's tight quarters. Everything's extremely overpriced. Yeah, so that paints the picture of what GOP is. Anger and doubt. But I think in in the program, I think I was overwhelmed with cult emotions, group group emotions. So maybe that was an emotion stopping technique. Just being able to like sing in the mornings and do hundred with everybody. And I think maybe the church battled that with group activities. Yeah, like re really reinforcing the idea of group think would crush any forms of doubt because group mentality is very powerful and if everybody's doing the same thing and everybody believes the same thing i think that's an emotion stopping technique for doubt and we would all you know wake up together sing together pray together do hundred together eat breakfast together and when i say we would all i'm reflecting back on the times i spent in camps or winter workshop, blessing workshops. And these are all the downtime that you get from normal life. Like, like, let's say you go to a normal public school. It's still expected that during winter break, for Christmas, instead of spending time with your family, there's this thing called a winter workshop where you would go live at UTS for a week, where you would go live in, in the woods at a camp for a week. Kylie said, NGA did group love bombing and shaming of lack of presence. Oh. Okay, so yeah, NGA. And I don't really know too much about NGA. It's Next Gen Academy. I think it mimicked like um, mobile fundraising, labor trafficking techniques. So I would assume that in NGA, you were probably labor trafficked at the age of 17 or 18 to live in a van, fundraise for a god-awful amount of hours, and have a goal of a certain monetary value that you had to reach before you could stop fundraising. So if you had lack of presence which is like spacing out or being you know just being in your head you would be love bombed and shamed so um i remember the shaming like if you you if you were asleep you let's go back to being at a workshop during your downtime like a winter workshop in the middle of winter you should be spending time with your family but instead you find yourself at uts you're in a large room where you're sleeping with 20 other people in a gym that has bunk beds you wake up at five you go down to the group hall you pray, you all look like you just woke up because you did, and then you sing, and then you read some hundake, and then you go to breakfast. So when I say we're all together, I mean during these times, these workshops. And there was three-day workshops you could go to on the weekend. There was sports retreats. There was sports fest, PLA during the weeknights. There was youth group during the weekends. So constantly, any downtime you had, there's always an organized cult group you can join to reinforce and stop any emotions of doubt <laughs> that's so crazy they had us so busy okay so somebody said maybe by saying you're doing this for god and true parents would be a um, emotion stopping technique to block out anger or doubt yeah living for the sake of others it's a virtuous thing it feels good it feels good 
to be given the mission, right? It feels good to be better than the rest of society. And by our definition of better was living for the, the greater good, to not be so selfish in your own unique life, but to live for the greater good. And in that aspect, we internalized Reverend Moon and his family as the greater good because he was God's lineage. And so that's a fucked up mind control thing to elevate one person above the rest. That's so cultic. You shouldn't elevate anybody else over. That's how that's how they gain control. And so that's a really good point. That that was a really good point for emotion stopping. Another one, and Anna said, not to mention showing favoritism and publicly praising the people that most accepted and immerse themselves in the indoctrination. Ooh, yeah, it was called like hardcore. Like the more you self-sacrificed, the more hardcore you were. Like if you were the last one in line to get breakfast constantly at UTS, let's go back to a winter workshop, for example. If you were the last one to get breakfast, you cleaned up, you made breakfast, you were the first one at Hundake, you were the one volunteering to clean the showers, you were pulling weeds during break time, you were doing service for peace activities of your own fruition, you were giving lectures. If you were that person, you would be publicly praised because that person is so hardcore and that person is living for the sake of others and that person is glorified and that's where we found value as a second generation blessed child and so that kind of and and it wasn't just one person doing that it was like who wants to do the dishes i would be like we would do it and it seems so lovely to be in a group that's so self-sacrificing um because you think somebody's going to sacrifice for you or that your needs are going to be met but really we're just being used to propel this like thought and emotional and behavior and intellectual control organization. Like we're not actually sacrificing for the sake of others and for the greater good. We're actually sacrificing to propel this like giant machine that eats children, basically, <laughs> in my opinion. Rebuilding myself for myself and they had a share and confess with team leaders, but they are 1000% not mental health professionals, but they acted like it and often told me I needed and was responsible for saving my family. Whew. I'm glad you brought up that point. So I'm a registered nurse. Easily I could become a psych professional. I just need another two years of psychiatric nursing, or I could just take some courses and become a professional in psychiatric nursing. But that doesn't make me a, a professional enough to take responsibility for someone's entire psyche. That still wouldn't qualify me. And I love that you brought that up because nobody has that kind of, nobody should have that kind of power. Even if you're a professional, you shouldn't be viewed as godlike. So Reverend Schenker is a good one. He has a BA in a BA in something, he went to UTS in something. And we acted like he was God, like confessing to him as the team leader, whatever he said went. And, and, and he was a terrible therapist, absolutely terrible. He put me and a lot of other people in a very, we trusted him and he directed us to our marriage trafficking. We trusted him and he directed us to our abusers. We trusted him and he gave us a terrible formula for success. And I think he also enjoyed our confessions more than he enjoyed helping us. Just enjoyed listening because it was disgusting. Like what grown man with a, degree convinces 15 year olds to tell him every single detail about giving head to somebody in high school like how many times did you do it where'd you do it who'd you do it with and like that's not your 
that's not your concern. That's not your, why, why am I telling you this? I have like confession forms that ask, when was the first time you had sex? Did you have oral sex? How, how many times did you do it? Where'd you do it? It's like, why is the church asking all this? They're so voyeuristic. This is disgusting. Okay, so they had us share and confess with team leaders. Okay, yeah, and team leaders sometimes were just other peers. And uh, I, I remember doing this, confessing to other peers. And they're like, what the fuck do I do with this? Offer it to God in a, a, vertical, a vertical relationship? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, we had like vertical relationships. Anybody older than you in the Korean culture is called your ani, oppa, nuna, and hyung. And so that like came into every aspect of the unification church and you thought anybody older than you automatically was qualified to like carry whatever burden you had vertically to god that's not true it's not not true at all yeah they're not mental health professionals at all and they acted like it yeah because that was the culture it was you were vertical so you could act like a professional or that you knew something and i needed and and was responsible for saving my family. Yeah, and I did feel responsible. We all felt responsible for saving each other because we were all told we were superheroes. And so if anybody was like in trouble, we felt like we could save them, even though we let ourselves drown in self-sacrifice. All right, number three, make the person feel that problems are always their own fault, never the leader's or the group's fault. Ooh. So I think a very extreme example of this is the deaths that happened in the Unification Church. I recently stumbled upon a list of over 350 people that have passed away. A couple of them are from labor trafficking, missionary work overseas, getting involved with communism, getting murdered by somebody's government, getting into a car accident, eight sisters in a car accident in Africa because probably the leader was driving for 24 hours straight trying to look for a place to fundraise. So there's a list of hundreds of people that have died for the Unification Church. Recently on one of my posts, somebody um, commented that a second gen member tragically died. The church did not acknowledge his death at all. And when she brought it up, another second gen said, oh, he's probably in hell anyway because he was falling away from the church. Th that victim blamed and diminished his entire existence. He ma they made him his own problem and that it was his fault. It was his fault that he was falling away from the church and he died. And I thought that story was tragic if you're being pushed away from an organization and they deem your death you're you're going to hell that they're probably in hell anyway his death doesn't matter because he was falling away from the church what the fuck is that that does not sound like a good group to be in like minimizing death of a victim blaming of comforting each other because his death doesn't matter because he's going to hell anyway like what the what is that that's so inhuman that is so inhuman and if you're in the unification church you know that that's the kind of thought processes people have. Like, if you're not a second gen, then you don't matter. And if you're a second gen that's failing, you're even worse. And you are you have no value. Like, wow, that's fucked up. I don't think God or Jesus would ever do that. Gal behavior. Yeah. So that's one example. Make the person feel that problems are always their own fault, never the leader's or the group's fault. Yeah. So if, if the abuser is abusing you and you have a problem with the abuse and you stand up for yourself, that's your problem. The fact that you are hurting or that you can't stick with the program and be abused like the rest of us, 
Like if you can't go wake up at five, do 100K, and then group sing, group pray, group eat, and then do a service for peace project, if you're gonna complain about picking weeds on the side of the road while the rest of us live for the sake of others, that's your fault. Don't complain that you're being labor trafficked at seven in the morning, and then you just ate like some meal that some other labor traffic kids made in the cafeteria. Don't complain about this organization. This place is great. This is heaven on earth. In heaven, we all live for the sake of Reverend Moon and his family. I mean others. Yeah, no, that's that's messed up. Like, if you have a problem, it should be valid. It is valid. And the organization or the leader abusing you should take a good hard look at themselves and say, why are these people complaining? Why do they have a problem? Oh, maybe I'm an abusive person or organization and I should make a change. And maybe I shouldn't labor traffic people. <laughs> maybe there should be some, some changes here. Maybe people should be able to sleep until eight. Or maybe this organization should just be disbanded. Multiplication of evil. Good point, Aries. We did have terms for that. Complaining was multiplication of evil. That is very true. You're multiplying evil. You're multiplying sin. Stop. One bad apple will make the rest of us bad. So stop complaining or we're going to separate you from the group. Quite literally. So um, make that person feel like their problems are always their own fault. But like problems have a cause, you know? It's not, why would it be like a 14-year-old's fault for feeling used when they're being used and there should be a, there should be an inspection of the organization community care and collectivization yeah speaking out oh it's really hard to go against the group and when you complain you're out you chest out okay number four promote feelings of guilt or unworthiness such as a identity guilt i mean we were second gen blessed children that's an identity and if you went against that and and there was a rigid pattern and rules that that you had to maintain to stay that identity. So if you did anything different, like have first love, have a healthy relationship with somebody you were crushing on, or didn't want to serve true parents or involve true parents in your life for any reason, you were shamed and guilted for your identity. Like that's very complex. B, you are not living up to your own, to your potential. Ooh, this was a, this is a big one abusers use. Abusers across the board, not just religious and um, cultic abusers but romantic abusers they'll often say i see something so special in you you could be doing so much better you could be doing so much more and i i have the formula for success you just have to listen to me you have to do what i say because i know what's right and i know what's best and i see so much potential in you and you're you're just not doing it but um hold my hand while i punch you in the face with the other one but i'm taking you to the right path like that's that's a really, really keen point for promoting feelings of unworthiness. It's like a euphoric recall slash gaslighting technique narcissists use and abusers use to get you to stay in a group. Rebuilding myself for myself. That totally excuses abusers when it's only our responsibility. Yeah, when the abuser, because like a lot of us have been abused. A lot of us have been in abusive relationships and everybody will say it doesn't seem so bad when it's happening. It actually feels, I'm going to say it, like it feels good to be in a cult. It feels good to be special. It feels good to be part of a group. It feels safe. It feels almost impossible to go against the grain when everybody else, in a large group, because there's hundreds of Moonies when I was in it. There's hundreds of Moonies. It wasn't just one or two or five people. It's hundreds of us are doing the same thing. It feels really good. It feels like you're on the right path. All right, C, your family is deficient. Ooh. Ooh, your family is deficient. Yeah, okay, so my parents like divorced. I was so deficient. I was so deficient. 
I was constantly denying my family's own existence and going towards the group because I didn't want to be part of a deficient family. I wanted to be part of a true global family. Ta-da! <laughs> so yeah, that totally promoted my feelings of guilt and unworthiness. I felt lucky to be in the cult and not part of my dysfunctional family. I was so lucky. Please don't ask me who my parents are. Please don't tell me when they got matched and blessed. Please don't ask me who my brothers are. Like, I just want to be a single entity in this wonderful organization because I had feelings of shame and guilt for my family because they weren't living up to par. So that was a very complex emotional control tactic that I experienced, and I wonder if other people experienced that in their unification church cult indoctrination. Okay, next. Your past is suspect. Yeah, your past is so suspect. That's why you're here to repent. Ah, e, your affiliations are unwise. Right, because um, relationships with outsiders were not wise. They'll multiply evil in you and make you fall. They'll tempt you. You'll get raped at prom. Boy might kiss you on the bus or something bad's going to happen. So yeah, your affiliations are unwise. I'm going to tell you now, nobody should that have that much control over you for the people you want to make friends with. The only people that should really influence who your friends are Probably should be your parents because they care about you the most. And I don't think it's anybody else's business. F, your thoughts, feelings, actions are irrelevant or selfish. Is that like absolute faith, absolute love, absolute obedience? Or is that like, is that like stop caning out? G, social guilt. So if you're not like living for the sake of others and like taking out the trash, washing the dishes, doing some service or peace work around the public property. If you're misusing public money after we fundraised, after we made like $2,000 in labor trafficking and OLT, you couldn't use public money to buy yourself a pair of shoes. That's social guilt. And everybody was looking at you like, if everybody knew if you had new shoes and everybody knew you didn't have any money to buy new shoes. So did you just misuse public money? Social guilt. I think that's, yeah, living for the sake of others is a very pretty way to say your individual thoughts, feelings, actions are irrelevant and selfish. Very flowery w way to say the same thing. Synonymous. Historical guilt. Okay, so yeah, historical guilt was a big thing because your ancestors, if your ancestors weren't liberated, then a lot of your actions were, were historical guilt. It was your ancestors. So that's, that's a big one because I was the biggest moneymaker is making people feel historical guilt, the biggest money maker. If you can make people feel bad for something they didn't do or something their ancestors did, and then you can tell them that they can pay to get rid of that guilt, like that's a huge money maker because you're, you're creating a problem and then you're creating this bullshit solution that won't really fix anything and then you're milking them for it. And like it's historical guilt. So there's 430 generations of milking that you can do is what the Unification Church says. You can liberate, you could pay $70 a generation. You can liberate up to 430 generations on all different sides of your family, maternal, paternal, and then you can pay for it. But I'm like, what about the overlaps? If I, uh, I pay 130 grand to liberate all my ancestors, but like my friend who's, my distant relative pays 130 grand to liberate all her ancestors. Isn't there an overlap? And how do you even know the difference? Is Damonim really taking names? Does she have a ledger in spiritual world where she goes to liberate ancestors? They literally told us, they sat us down in Champyong and showed us the movie What Dreams May Come. And when Robin Williams was stepping on heads and hands, they were like, that's what Damonim does, guys. She has to go to the pits of hell and find your ancestors that you're paying for and Dig them out of hell 
And I'm like, the fuck? But we liberated, we, but me and my buddy over here are distant relatives and we liberated and we paid to liberate the same, same ancestor. So this is all bullshit. There's just so many flaws. If you want to go talk about ancestor liberation, also like nobody can go to spirit world. There's no such thing as pulling people out of the pits of hell like in Robin Williams, What Dreams May Come. That's magical thinking. Let's talk about that. Magical fucking thinking. What Dreams May Come was the church's fucking poster child. They forced it on children. Like I was 12 when I first watched What Dreams May Come and they were like, yes, this is it. This is exactly what it's like. This is what happens when you kill yourself. This is what happens to all your ancestors. This is what happens when you don't follow your father. And I'm like, but but this dude didn't father, follow Reverend Moon and he got to a pretty nice painterly heaven. How can you say everything in dreams may come is real and then when he goes to painterly heaven, he wasn't a blessed child? He didn't follow Reverend Moon? Like, how can you say everything in this movie is right, but half of it isn't? <laughs> can we talk about that? Ugh, the suicide myth. Yeah, they said that, that, that little suicide myth. Yeah, all of that. So how can we call what dreams may come fact? Like, most of it was fact, and yet getting to a good place in the spirit world on your own, independently, wasn't fact. But everything else was. It's like, you can't just take what you want and just miss the rest. But that's what the Unification does. It has a lot of flaws. The Unification Church is not, uh, but we covered this in the last thought control. So basically, if they convinced us that Reverend Moon was a messiah, everything else to follow, that was the hard part. Convincing us Reverend Moon was a messiah was the hard part. After that, anything goes. Just like convincing a child Santa Claus is real, after that, anything goes. He really does shrink to jump down chimneys. He really does see every kid in one single day. He really does have reindeer that fly. Like, that's all fucking crazy. He lives forever. Like, that's all crazy, but you believe Santa is real, so all the rest can follow. Just like Reverend Moon is a messiah, so people can go to hell, pull ancestors out of the ground to restore them, to marry them, and then graft them to Reverend Moon's lineage, his olive tree for eternity, and they can then buy homes in heaven through Champion Training Center, Heaven and Earth, and all this other crazy shit. This is cra it's crazy. It's magical thinking. It's almost on par with schizophrenia, but schizophrenia is a real mental health disorder, whereas magical thinking, if promoted in a group, is just a bunch of crazy magical thinking things. Everybody wants to believe Harry Potter's real, right? Everybody wants to believe magic is real, and so in a cult, you can feel like magic is real, like you have magic. Like, this is magic. This is magical thinking. Spirit world is real. Ooh. You can move things with your mind and you can tell your, you can mobilize your ancestors that you've liberated to change things. Oh my God, if you have enough good ancestors, we can roll the dice and you win. Like it was all magical thinking. Absolutely crazy. It wasn't crazy though, because magical thinking isn't crazy. Magical thinking is age regression. Magical thinking is going back into a child's mm -hmm. mindset and thinking magic is real. It's not crazy. It's immature. It's childlike. And being a child feels good. Let's go back on these comments. Love that movie. <laughs> Someone must have restored him in Chumpyong. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody fucking paid for celebrity. Yes, P, you can pay for a celebrity to be liberated. Um, like when Robin Williams died, you can pay for him to be liberated. Albert Einstein, I think one of my friends paid for Albert Einstein to be liberated. I think I remember somebody paid for all of the U.S. presidents to be liberated. That's $70 per liberation, $25 registration fee for up to seven generations. So in one seven generation, that's $700 plus $50 registration fee. So $750 for seven people, basically. Um, so how many presidents are there? 50? So 50 times a lot. It's a lot of fucking money. 
<laughs> oh my god. Or when my unbelieving friend from elementary school who is an angel can't go to heaven. At this point, I was just really thinking about all of this. Yeah, that really sucks. How can that even, yeah, how can that even be a belief system? Yeah, it's magical thinking. I want to really make a point on that, that magical thinking isn't schizophrenia. It feels good. It brings you back to like a childlike mindset where Pokemon are real and like Squirtle could be hiding in the lake. You know, it's it's fun. It's always fun. I know you all have good childlike memories where maybe Santa was real. Maybe Pokemon, you can catch them. Like, <laughs> you know, it's magical and it, it feels good. The imagination is very powerful. And when you can invoke imagination in a large group of people, it's super powerful. And you can tell them whatever you want. It's dangerous. That's where it can get dangerous. Because what's happening now in 2021 is the sanctuary church has magical thinking, devout followers, and then a shit ton of weapons. <laughs> what's going to happen there? I have no idea. I have no idea, but they are like worshipping this term called political Satanism, which is where... Reverend Moon's family has to like restore all the politics in the world by replacing them. So like Moonies have to replace all powerful positions. I don't know. But yeah, they're like demonizing polit politicians and government, calling it pl political Satanism. And then they have like an AR-15 mask weapons factory and other things. So it's a little bit interesting. Uh, Anna says, remember that thing that thing they try to pedal where if you hold an item in one hand and someone tries to pry your fingers apart other hand if they could pry the thing you held it wasn't holy what even was that yeah yeah oh magical thinking that's what that was we already believed reverend moon was the messiah and he told us that spirit world and holy like holy like all these different things were real so we thought we had magic right in in a sense we can we let's equate being a second generation, born without original sin, blessed child. Let's equate that to actual magic, right? So we did a lot of crazy shit, like not eat for seven days because we had spiritual magic, because we were special. We could, we could survive off of spiritual energy instead of actual food, magical thinking, right? Let's equate being a second generation blessed child to magical thinking again. Let's labor traffic children and expect they won't die on SCF. Okay, and then when accidents happened and you survived, guess what that was? Your magic as a second-gen blessed child. It protected you. Your ancestors protected you, even though that was just justification, gaslighting, euphoric recall of serious neglect. So magical thinking is super dangerous. It's what children do. But when a mass group of people create these magical ideas, it's super dangerous and it's, it's a blinder for abuse, neglect, and really, just really bad behavior. Like some second gen could die, but because he was falling away from the church, it doesn't matter. He was going to hell anyway. It's magical thinking. And it's invoked by course of control. That's why we're breaking down this model. Five, instill fear such as fear of thinking independently, the outside world, enemies, losing one's salvation, leaving or being shunned by the group, and others' disapproval. Thinking independently, yeah, you, any thoughts you had had to go through the map of reality, the divine principle, truth could only be seen through that map of reality, that internalized belief system. If you had anything that kind of contradicted that or could underline that internalized belief system, I think you would use a confirmation bias where you would just pick and choose the information you wanted to reaffirm your internalized belief system of being a Unification Church member. So it keeps you very blind to actual facts. So fear of critical thought, 
was also thought control. So you having fear of critical thinking um, and any new information, you push it through your internalized belief system of the Unification Church and everything that you've learned your whole life. And then with confirmation bias, pick and choose what you want to still believe in and how it reaffirms the thought that Reverend Moon is the Messiah. Basically, this is all very complex, very complex deconstruction. So if you guys have anything to add or if something doesn't make sense, please just ask um, because I'm making this up as I go. <laughs> okay, B, the outside world. Okay, instill fear of things such as the outside world. So we literally call them outsiders, bad influences. I was so confused about this because like I, I really liked anime. I really liked Naruto. Let's put that one out there. I was like, God, this is so, there's so much integrity in this story. And this guy is so strong. And like, I really like these stories. But if a non-blessed child made them, how can they be true? How does he know the truth? How is he so, who, who, who's the author? That's what I would think. Who's writing this stuff? Like, this stuff is really good. This stuff is better than the divine principle. I would rather watch Naruto and, like, learn from that life story than anything Reverend Moon ever did. But, but they're not church members. So how are they so wise? And so, yeah, I wish I just followed through with that thought, but I had a fear. I was like, how am I being tempted by Satan? These guys are so good. <laughs> I want to live like Naruto. <laughs> Just pick your favorite outside world influence, dissect it, and, and ask yourself, why is that bad, and why do I think that? And actually, maybe everything, nobody has all the answers, and you can pick and choose what you want to believe in. Instead of just internalizing everything through Reverend Moon's belief system. Yeah, it takes a real believer to deconstruct this stuff. Like, I'm going to admit it here. Like, I was a real believer of Reverend Moon. I am going to own it. I was a real fucking believer of the Unification Church. So I'm your worst enemy, you motherfuckers. I'm coming for you. <laughs> oh, okay, let's go with enemies. Oh, number C is enemies. That's me. <laughs> I'm still fear of enemies. So I just said it. Um, I'm sure people are pissing their pants about all the second generation Unification Church members coming for the Unification Church movement. <laughs> I'm sure they're pissing their pants that they labor trafficked and marriage trafficked minors and seriously abused the LGBTQ community, that they drove second generation to their deaths, that they have a list of dead people that were martyred for the Unification Church, that all of this stuff is very well documented. I love the New York Times. Who's working in the New York Times? You have been documenting all the true evils of the Unification church for the last 60 years everything is documented we are coming for your ass be fucking scared <laughs> be fearful because the truth is already there it just takes a few minds to dissect deconstruct and present it to the rest of the world and we are coming so yeah be fucking scared or be ready to get out get out of that church be ready to land on your own feet because spiritual death is hard but it doesn't have to be so lonely Losing one's salvation, yeah. What is? What even is that? What is salvation? Who's who's to save you? What's even a messiah? Uh, the original word messiah came from what the Jews and their original context for the word messiah was a political messiah. It didn't mean spiritual salvation at all. It was political. What is salvation? I think that's I think that's an independent responsibility. It's your own responsibility to get you out of the pits of hell that you call your own reality. And there are other people willing to help you. You just have to identify what hell you're in. I think that's salvation. I don't think anybody should be um, 
put into a limelight like Reverend Moon was to, to be your eternal salvation. That's fucking magical thinking and it's crazy and it lays the groundwork for abuse. Yeah, and still fear of leaving or being shunned by the group. I left the Unification Church knowing I was walking away from everyone and everything I loved. And that was super scary. But in leaving that toxic environment, I found really good people. Really good people. So if you're scared about leaving a toxic, abusive group, just know and be open to the fact that you've been abused for a long time. You might have low standards. Have the self-awareness to know that you deserve a good environment. And then you have to put up boundaries. And that's really hard when you've grown up in a cult. So I call the definition of boundaries, if you don't know how to set them, is feeling the edge of your emotions, feeling the edge of the emotions that are uncomfortable, the emotions that make you feel anxious, nervous, hurt, or angry, and then that's where you draw your boundaries. That's where you put a line down. If something is making you feel those emotions, then that's where you should draw a boundary and say no to whoever is making you feel that way. So that's a good definition and explanation for how to set boundaries if you've lived a life where you had no boundaries so really it stems from loving yourself and knowing what you deserve and if you can do those core things you can leave the group and find a new one a healthy one but if you don't have self-respect and you don't feel like you deserve to be happy and you don't feel like you love yourself then you're in a dangerous place and you should reach out to a therapist first of all or someone you can really trust Whew, it's gonna be really hard but yeah, it starts there. It starts with believing that you deserve to be happy and, and believing that you deserve love and believing that you can love yourself without being labeled selfish. And then with those core beliefs, then you can create a, a new healthy environment. So you shouldn't be shamed or scared of leaving a group and being shunned by them. If they're bad for you, first of all, even if they're shunning you, if there's like a ultimatum for leaving if you're going to be shunned that in and of itself is a red flag that that group is abusive if there's fear of leaving that's all the more reason you should get out yeah and others disapproval doesn't matter what other people think six extremes of emotional highs and lows love bombing and praise one moment and then declaring you are a horrible sinner i don't even think i need to give an example because we've all we've all experienced that emotional highs of singing in a group emotional highs of praying in the group, emotional highs of even playing sports and then going to a lecture and being told sexual thought is bad, don't misuse your sexual organs. And like, it was like so fun, like a minute ago, we were just playing volleyball with everybody. Like, why are you yelling at us about masturbation? Like, what the fuck? This is all natural. Yeah, that's all natural stuff. You shouldn't be shamed for it. You shouldn't be told you're a sinner because of masturbation. Like, that's a healthy thing. Mm, yeah, sexual health is a real, a real thing. Let's stop labeling it like a horrible sinner. I don't know. That's just an extreme example. Number seven, ritualistic and sometimes public confession of sin. Oh my God. Ooh, that's so triggering. In Korea, in my thought reform school that I lived in, we literally had testimony night where one person would go up and give their life's testimony and somehow tie it to being grateful for Reverend Moon for your existence because you're a second gen blessed child. The whole reason you are in existence is because you put your families together. And I just remember everybody fucking crying. If you didn't cry during your life's testimony, and there's about 50 of us that lasted for about a month and a half. It was a very traumatizing testimony month where everybody would go and like talk about their abuses that they were experiencing at home, that their families were not loving, that their parents didn't love each other. 
but I'm grateful to be here because without Reverend Moon, I wouldn't be alive and I wouldn't be in this beautiful, loving dorm with all my brothers and sisters. Of course, he only ended it that way because everybody else was, but really, man, that was a really depressing month. Super interesting. I still remember tears falling down people's faces. And some people didn't. Some people were just like, hey, my name's this, da 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 da. But a lot of times, like the public confession of sins, yeah, the ri ri ritualistic, it was ritualistic testimony night. Testimony, tell us about yourself. Have everybody in the cult know everything about you. So we can then use it against you to shame you, control you, or love you, find your insecurities, and, and love the shit out of you, and get you dependent on the system. That's the only place for you to exist because we're here for you. We understand you. Nobody else will understand you. You're special here. We'll take care of you. Do what we say. I'm going to hold your hand while I punch you in the face with the other one. Follow me. No boundaries. <laughs> so dangerous. So dangerous. Number eight, phobia indoctrination. Incredible inculcating irrational fears about leaving the group or questioning the leader's authority. I think we said that it's kind of like the same thing as being scared of leaving or being shunned by the group. So A, no happiness or fulfillment possible outside of the group. Yeah, so a lot of Moonies are probably listening to this, listening in on all the ex-Moonies saying, you know, the group was abusive, we've gone through these things, the group has flaws, the theology is flawed, uh, Reverend Moon was evil, incarnate, and true evil, real evil is not the one that can be recognized by everyone, obviously. Real evil is the one that can manipulate 95% of the people and can provoke those 95% to destroy the 5% who can see and understand its reality. And so ex moonies speaking out are the 5%. And the 95% of the Unification Church are being manipulated by real evil. And that real evil is the Moon family and their greed for profits and to control the world under the guise of global peace and one united family. Um, the group is actually very dangerous. It says world peace, but um, we were involved with mass killings with communism and the Contra in South America. There's documentation of so much bad things that the church has done or that they're involved with, literally involved with like fascist murders and um, war. Like, <laughs> the Unification Church is not that great, but they think that we are unhappy, that we didn't follow the path, we fell off, we have no fulfillment, we're just a bunch of complaining, sad motherfuckers. <laughs> I mean, there's so much evidence out there. There's so much evidence. There's always a way to explain it away, though, because you believe Reverend Moon's the Messiah. That's the fundamental underlying control tactic. It's believing... Reverend Moon is the Messiah. That's the one thing that you have to stop believing in order to see the truth of everything else. That's the one thing. You have to stop believing Santa's real so you can see the truth of this holiday. People are making a lot of money on you. More like we share about deep trauma and abuse and they didn't actually know what to do to help. With the confession, the ritualistic testimony night, a bunch of non-professional people listening in on some real issues and then telling you when you open up, because I've heard other people were like, oh, I was sexually assaulted, I was raped, this and that. And you open up and you say these things and they're like, that makes us uncomfortable. Don't talk about that again. What? What? 
and I believe in this hierarchy that this person's a professional because we instilled the culture of Hyang Nuna Ani Oppa, everybody above you, older than you, is in a vertical relationship to God. They're accurate, they're right, they have the best information. I should do exactly what they say. If they're telling me not to talk about it because it makes people uncomfortable, then I should just repress all of my abuses and not talk about it. I should internalize self-neglect and I should just repress, repress, repress. This didn't happen, let's just remember the good. None of these abuses are real because that's what God told me through my vertical relationships with my central figures. Whoa, whoa, that's not true at all. Whoa, 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 be very careful who you tell your abuses because you really do need help. Whoa, 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 let's unpack a lot of those traumas. Whoa, 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 let's bring it up to the surface. Let's get real help. Let's figure out the patterns, the causes, the issues. What do you need? What do you need in your life? What do you need to be happy? What do you need to draw boundaries around? What do you need to say? Like, that's healthy. That's, that's healthy. Or you should have prayed more or made better conditions. Yeah, that's victim blaming. It's not right. A church didn't do that. If a church is victim blaming victims and people are coming forward and saying they've been abused and they're just gonna shut these people up with you should have done better. That's an abuse system, like that's systemic abuse. Yeah, that just primes people for more abuse. And if you're in these groups and you feel like you're being hurt, if it, really, it's not so complicated. If you feel pain, there's a reason. Like I know I'm saying all these words, but if you're in a cult, you don't have the self-awareness to know what's going on. You just feel basic primal emotions like pain, joy, confusion. Cause that's what I felt when I was in the church. I didn't, I didn't have enough self-awareness to know abuse sexual assault, neglect, coercive control. Those words didn't make any sense to me. So we're age regressed, we're children, we have magical thinking, we have little self-awareness. Let's go back to the very core primal emotions and maybe that will make more sense. Pain, happiness, love, joy, confusion. I think those, we have to break it down into like the very fundamental building blocks because as a Unification Church member, even at 21, I didn't have the emotional whereabouts to know what was going on internally with me for years, years. So I don't want to like overwhelm people with technical terms. We have to like bring it down, like ask yourself if you're in pain. And if you are, why? Why does it hurt so much? There's a reason. Instead of shoving it down because you're selfish, find out what you really need. Build boundaries. Get what you need to make yourself happy. Like, don't let any church stuff shame you fulfilling your basic fundamental needs. Rebuilding Myself says so many first-gen are so prideful that they have a child's heart still. The cult knows that they've age regressed members. Wow, yeah, because being a kid feels good. <laughs> it does. I mean, if you could go back to your eight-year-old self and look at the world in such a beautiful, innocent way, would you? If everybody else was doing it, wouldn't it feel good? Yeah, it would feel good to believe Pokemon were real. If everybody else believed, believed that, it would be really fun. But it's super dangerous. It makes you susceptible for abuse, just like a child is. Just like a child. You'll do what you're told by your true parents. Because they're true parents, and you are a child. And we know best. That's crazy. And we can... It's all making more sense the more we talk about it, right? The magical thinking is not an actual, it's not schizophrenia, it's not bipolar OCD, it's not, you know, I mean, there's all these things that come because of it, but the magical thinking takes you back to a childlike state of mind where everything is beautiful and neglect isn't real. Like, because a child doesn't just call out and be like, hey, I'm being abused, it's doing this, this, and this, it's having all these results. They're just getting abused, and as they grow up, 
those abuses manifest in their personality. But they don't know it until they're later, mm-hmm. older in life. But if you stay age regressed your whole life, what happens? I don't know. It's interesting. You can live your whole life as a child. Feels good, but you probably have a lot of pain. Because, I mean, kids still feel pain. Magical thinking. Interesting. These are very interesting terms that we're coming up with. B, terrible consequences if you leave. Hell, demon, possession, incurable diseases, accidents, suicide, insanity. 10,000 reincarnations. That sounds kind of fun. Wow, terrible consequences if you leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so we can go back to that example that was told earlier where that died and people were like, well, he was leaving the church anyway. Or um, when Reverend, when there was a bunch of deaths in the early 2000s, Reverend Moon was like, spirit world is mobilizing and punishing. There's heavenly punishment for you people who are falling away from my word. That just reinforces... Like, it's like a confirmation bias. It's false memory. First of all, he planted these false memories that these deaths were because of spirit world instead of what they actually were, which was neglect and abuse and labor trafficking. And then he claimed them and used them as a confirmation bias for if you're falling away from the church, bad things will happen. Because he's the Messiah. We believe everything he says. And children don't have to take responsibility. That's such a good point. Yeah, so if you have magical thinking and your age regress and you're a child, wow, you don't have to take responsibility for the things you do. So recently, like, we called out some first-gen on the abuses, and they just flipped the script and were like, well, I wouldn't do that because da 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 And, like, I had the word, and I'm justified in what I did because I had the word behind my, every action, even though I abused children and misdirected labor traffic them and marriage traffic them. It's not my fault. I was just following Reverend Moon, who is godlike, and so my sins are justified because God's law, Reverend Moon's law, is above the law. So I, I'm i not taking responsibility for your, I'm not taking responsibility for the abuses that I put you through because they weren't abuses. They were saving, I was saving you because my internal belief system tells me I did. Even if I hurt you, it doesn't matter. You're selfish and you just couldn't pass the course that was given by God, Reverend Moon himself. <laughs> Does anybody get that from first gen? It's kind of like what I'm interpreting from first gen's reactions to uh, us saying that the Unification Church is a terrible organization. Family Federation for World Peace, Generation Peace Academy, Global Peace Fest, Oceania Leadership Team, General Orientation Program, Ocean Challenge, PLA, NGA, Camp Chihakwa, Camp Sunrise, Blessing Workshops, Matching Workshops, all of it. It's bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's such a well-developed plan. It's such a well-developed map of reality. And guess what? It's all bad. All of it. There's no good in it. It's all bad. Some people might be good. They're children. (laughs) But uh, there's a lot of growing needed. And it's hard when the entire organization is age regressed. Or just lack of self-awareness. Just lack of self-awareness. Because guess what? Self-awareness is selfish. It's bad. You should know who you are. Just stick with the group. Do what we tell you. Follow this path. Don't explore your own emotions. Stay on the narrow. Woo. Okay. Shunning of those who leave. Fear of being rejected by friends and family. That's kind of like a... We've already duplicated that. Never a legitimate reason to leave. Those who leave are weak, undisciplined, unspiritual, worldly, brainwashed by family or counselor, or seduced by money, sex, or rock and roll. Rock and roll. (laughs) Okay, so yes. Yeah, okay. So if the core belief system is living for the sake of others and self-denial, and everything you do must be for the progress of the world, that sounds nice. So on the other side of that, anything that makes you feel good about yourself anything that gives you autonomy, anything that is a safe, loving environment where it's your happiness that is fulfilled is selfish and it's wrong. And it's not a legitimate reason to leave, but when people do leave for those things, it only confirms 
the belief system that they are selfish. Having that internal belief system demonizes your basic fundamental needs. And so when you see people fulfilling their basic fundamental needs, that puts them in an us versus them and they are selfish. And so that confirms, has a confirmation bias where you believe you're on the right path, that other person is selfish for having their needs met. And, and choosing themselves over the group and the world. And and so they're part of the bad, they're part of the evil. And so this is like such a well-formed mental, emotional, intellectual, and behavior control trap for people. And so I can see why staying in the Unification Church, like it's very effective, it's a very well thought out cult. It doesn't use fear as much as it uses love, the motivation of, of love, living for the sake of others and world peace, one global family. It all sounds so nice. Not, it's not with fear. So it's really hard to get out of and say that it's evil. How can you call a group that's promoting world peace and unity and one family under God? How can you call that group evil? Like me calling this group out seems crazy because it's such a well-painted, flowery organization. But that's the true evil, isn't it? It's the It's the evil that people can't see. It's the evil that's manipulating the most people. That's true evil, isn't it? And that you are better than everybody else. You're strong enough, you're hardcore, you can go the path, and they couldn't. And so it's like a, so when people do leave, it confirms the fact that you are strong. Strong enough to, to stand through more abuse. And everybody else fell through. And then E, threats of harm to ex-members and family. Ooh, threats of harm. Okay, so let's talk about that. So that's that sounds really radical, right? But actually, I've had like ex-members from around the world tell me that they can't publicly come out because the Unification Church will either murder them or fire their parents. <laughs> There's a legit rumor that in Korea, if you speak shit about the church, um, physical harm will come to you. Let's just say that. And same in Japan, whose family was originally Muslim and converted to being Moonies. Um, and they're in a very dangerous environment where they can't come forward and tell people about the abuses of the Moonies. They can forward and admit they're Moonies, then they'll be hurt by the Muslim community they weren't supposed to leave in the first place. So religions are very, like this is just, this just goes to show that religions are very fucking dangerous. And they have a lot of course of control, emotional control, behavior control, thought control, and they can, they're dangerous organizations. Like that's, that's a lot handle right there so at the end of that like I feel like it was a lot of introspection there's a lot of complicated words but basically if we break it down just age regress a little bit so you can kind of communicate with people on all different levels like break break it down into the basics is listen to your emotions emotions are there for a reason if you're feeling pain don't repress that find out what's causing the pain know that it's okay to make changes to correct the pain it's okay to draw boundaries. It's okay to tell somebody that they're hurting you or that something they do does hurt you. And if there's a backlash that attacks you for your weakness or, or your inability to withstand abuses, know that it's even more okay to cut that person out mm -hmm. of your life, to create boundaries. If you're going to leave a group and there's shunning in the first place, if there's negative like if you're gonna like when i leave work it's not like hey guys i'm leaving oh you're so weak for leaving going home to sleep you're such a lazy person like that's a bad environment like i don't want to work somewhere where i'm being shunned for leaving work i just did all the work 
like I'll see you guys tomorrow how about that like have fun enjoy your your night off that that's a good group something that says you know go thanks for your hard work we'll see you later but if a group is going to be like you shouldn't leave in the first place and if you do you're weak and your sin and you're flawed that take a moment reflect on that group is that a healthy group environment for you is that really somewhere that you want to go for your basic needs and your your needs to as a social being is that really somewhere you want to go so let's break it down. Really, you can just listen to yourself emotionally speaking. A lot of members are age regressed, believe in magical thinking. Whew, it's easy to control children, right? So if we want to communicate with childlike people, we have to break it down. So I think this emotional control stuff is really powerful stuff because everybody has emotions, right? I mean, you can't deny we're not robots. A lot of us become robots by repression, repression, repression but those feelings are still there. It's gonna take some introspective work to find out what's at the core of those. Everybody has a unique experience in life. Everybody has a different range of emotions for their own reasons. And so nobody can tell you what to do. Nobody can give you a path that will make you happy. You have to come up with your own because you're your own unique individual. You have your own unique feelings. It's just good to know that you can draw boundaries and you can make choices that are independent of a group for you to feel satisfied in your needs and your emotions. And I think that's um, I think that's it for emotional control. Thanks for joining me, everybody. So B I T E is done. I uh, have some requests to talk about purity culture and the effects of purity culture on for, uh, second generation members of the Unification Church. Uh, I've been recently doing some research about first love and the effects of uh, what it does to your brain. So in the Unification Church, a lot of times first loves don't actually get acknowledged, and but that doesn't mean that the chemical programming doesn't last a lifetime so it does so um i think that's going to be a really interesting topic mm -hmm. to talk about because if you can identify the patterns and the blueprint that was instilled in you as a child there's this term going around called first love trauma and that really does actually program your brain for your view on love for the rest of your life i think that's very interesting uh, a lot of second generation members weren't able to actually embrace acknowledge accept or even experience first love in a natural way. So that actually, breaking that down is super important because it lays a blueprint down on the uh, reward and motivation center in your brain of how you view love. So I was severely under rewarded for my first love. And so even throughout my life, I can see that I don't really have very emotionally dopamine fueled drive for love, but I still love. It's not like you can't, it's just you program differently. I mean, I'm aware of it, and so I'm only 31, so. And the brain is a beautiful thing, and so if we under, the more we understand, the more we can um, fix stuff. Yes, the emotionally fueled dopamine filled, lol, me too. There's a lot of different neurotransmitters and the first experience of love is super interesting. I'll just talk, I'll just touch on it briefly because I still have a lot of research to do. So first love is the first time your brain experiences first love, powerful emotion. It's, it's likened to a, a coke addiction. It's likened to the first time you've done coke, quite literally in your brain, in MRI scans, when someone sees a picture of someone they love, the same reactivity happens when someone does cocaine. This is like a Harvard study. So love is actually quite addictive, as addictive as cocaine. So the first time you do cocaine slash the first time you fall in love, if it's a positive experience, it wires the brain to release dopamine, release serotonin, release vasopressin and oxytocin, these different chemicals that create pathways for you to basically have a reward 
and a motivation for love, right? But let's say the first time you love someone, all you feel is shame. So I think there's this chemical called the cortisol. So lots of stress is released, lots of fucking stress. That's also released during first love is cortisol. Stress levels go way up, but usually they regulate because, because the reward is so much better than the initial stressors, hence the butterflies and then and the feeling of euphoria. But in first love trauma, that euphoria never comes, right? So it's just chronic stress. And that's how your brain is programmed during your first love experience. So first love trauma in the unification church is usually repressed and denied and shamed, right? So what happens long-term for the people that experience first love trauma, AKA most of the second generation church members? What happens? What happens to your ability to love? What happens to the blueprints of your ability to love, to feel and experience love? What happens? That's the question, right? What happens in an MRI scan if a second generation unification church member that experienced first love trauma is shown somebody they love? You know, it's a good question. I'm not a Harvard grad. I can't do a study, but I'm just putting this out there. So maybe if somebody's at Harvard and you want to brain scan some second gens, it'll be interesting to see what lights up compared to healthy first love experiences. I think um, second gen unification church members are great, great study material. <laughs> But I'm not a doctor. But yeah, so those are just some thoughts I was bouncing around in my head. I don't know if I'll put that on a different thing, but wanted to talk about purity culture. There's a lot of information about purity culture coming out from ex-evangelicus members that experience extreme authoritarian control and purity culture. And they have a lot of shame and stuff that they're talking about. So there's a lot of resources you can go on to understand this stuff better. Um, purity culture was a term I came across this year. What is purity culture? It sounds like something really nice, but actually it uh, highlights the detrimental effects of purity culture. Abstinence. Promoting just abstinence. The detrimental effects it has on your brain, on your psychology, um, as well as your biological functions, and your viewpoint on relationships. There, there's a lot of established work on that. If I'm going to jump off this live, and if you're interested in learning about purity culture, tons of resources, read up on it, see how purity culture that we all went through in the Unification Church, we did, that was purity culture, um, what we went through there, like Pure Love Alliance, and the Il Shimmering, and, and all that, that was all purity culture, there's a lot of information you can study and see how it affects you, I think that's super interesting, so putting the words out there, because I didn't know that word last year, purity culture, but... Yeah, hashtag purity culture. Have a great day. Uh, I hope this de deconstruction helps you kind of see the patterns. That Before we started talking, I thought I was alone in my patterns until I started talking to a lot of people. And it turns out we have a lot of the same patterns, a lot of the same programming, a lot of the same deconstructive work to do. So the more we communicate, the easier it is to do this work because it's a lot of heavy lifting. Enjoy your day. The bite model's done after this, so if we have something else you guys want to talk about and deconstruct actively and together, let's do it because I know there's so much work to do.